1: Right now get 15% off your first order at burrow.com/acast. That's 15% off at burrow.com/acast.
0: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile.
1: With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices
2: Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly and after days of people yelling about a footballer spinning around twice, lots of goals and big results in the Premier League. Arsenal get back to winning ways and back to the top of the league after an imperious win over Forrest. Jesse Marsh goes full Ali G and why not as Crescentio Somerville pokes in a last minute winner at Anfield. Booze for Graham Potter on his return to the Amex where his Chelsea side get absolutely battered. Spurs don't bother with the first half again but get to celebrate an injury time winner that counts at Bournemouth. There's a bullet header from Rashford, get him on that plane and maybe the perfect free kick from kevin de bruyne newcastle hammer villa and what exactly have the bright lights of london done to ben Mee and diego costa's first premier league red card he's just not that kind of player also wild injury time fun in charlton moonlighting commentators no mention of the cambridge derby cold play your questions and that's today's guardian football weekly The panel today: Nader Manoujah, welcome. Yeah, good morning, sir. Hello, Barry Glendenning. Hello, Max Rushton, and hello, John Bruin.
3: Hello, Max. Thanks for having me. Uh,
2: oh no, it's a pleasure. Um, uh, and thanks for being so polite. And the other two just expected to be here. <laughs> there you are.
4: <laughs>
2: uh, let's start at the Emirates. Arsenal five, Nottingham Forest nil. Uh, first time Arsenal have won by a five-goal deficit since Arsene Wenger. And they, they're just a joy to watch right now, aren't they? Attacking, positive, forward-thinking.
0: Mm, that's, that's exactly right. And even with that, I think it's, it's almost like a recency bias because the two previous games, you know, they lost to PSV. I think they're drawn with Southampton. Mm. Some, the people, the naysayers, whoever they may be, I'm sure somebody's listening, believing maybe I am that naysayer. They probably thought maybe this could be a bit of a slip-up, not necessarily like definitely a loss, but maybe they'll look nervous. But instead, it's a, it's a 5 no win. It's attacking football, it's free-flowing. You've seen Thomas Partey do that thing again where he kills into the top corner first time from the edge of the box, soon becoming a trademark. And yeah, they're, uh, they're good. They're really, they're really good value. This was a different moment for them being in second before the game started. But I think they stepped up to the challenge really well. And yeah, I enjoy watching them. I enjoy watching Saka's, Martinelli's, obviously Reese Nelson's as well. These are the expected people to be scoring goals and doing things for Arsenal, obviously, as was the case with fantasy football. But yeah, credit to Arsenal. It's a good bounce back after the PSV loss and they look good and going to that stadium is going to be a tough game for whoever arrives there and you know for them long may it continue. Can I naysay? If, naysay as much as you want to the best team in the Premier League. Yeah, go for it.
5: Well, I, I, taking that game against Forest in isolation they were very, very impressive but Forest were diabolically bad and on Thursday Arsenal played a PSV team who were much better than Forest and were absolutely battered like spanked around the pitch. They lost 2-0. They probably should have lost by an awful lot more. They simply could not cope with uh, PSV's front two, Zabby Simmons and Cody Gakpo, who were outstanding. And uh, yeah, so I think that game needs to be considered when you're talking about this performance, which admittedly was very impressive against what amounted to uh, 11 training dummies. John,
2: John, are you? uh, uh, Would you call yourself a a a, a naysayer or just or a sayer? Where are you on the on Arsenal?
3: I'm in the Leo Sayer camp uh, on Arsenal this season. Uh, Jonathan Wilson wrote a a column this uh, over the weekend, which I I agreed with, Jonathan. If you're listening, which was actually this season needs Arsenal. We need Arsenal to be good beyond Manchester City, the other usual suspects are not having the greatest of seasons. So. We need another team to to put something up to them. Now, how long that lasts, I don't know. Um, A friend of mine was at the game and uh, was WhatsApping me during it. And uh, bearing in mind that um, Arsenal won this game 5-0, he said that the Arsenal fans seemed terribly antsy and very worried at a certain point. Um, Now, I do wonder if uh, the Emirates' uh, level of anxiety, and I think we've all been there and seen it over the years, might get to City if the level of expectation expectation pushes on later in the season, but they should enjoy it uh, for what it is at the moment. Uh, not then that sounds a little bit patronising. I, I I know. I mean, good signs there. I mean, like Saka going off, and he's such a vital player. Reese Nelson comes on, scores two. Now there was a player four or five years ago we're talking about who was going to be like the next big thing of Arsenal, and he's he's been I and mean, he's been spent spells in Germany. Came in. Did his job. Maybe they won't miss Saka so much. I mean, he's obviously not going to play now uh, until before the World Cup. But I'm for Arsenal at the moment. Let's enjoy it while we can. But I
5: I don't disagree with anything you or Nadum say. But would you not say my naysaying is in some way... No, I
3: I I don't disagree at all. I mean, they were dreadful against PSV. And I don't actually... I mean, I I would say... uh, covered both the games they PSV played against Rangers and they ain't much cop so that would be a worry but I suppose if you're a manager you bounce back and you beat a team uh, let's remember Forest beat Liverpool the previous week. Now what does that say about Liverpool? Well then we're going into some sort of uh, you know Russian doll scenario aren't we? <laughs> so uh, it's it, 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 but yeah, yeah I think it's well as Jonathan said Arsenal have given us something to discuss. Thank you Arsenal.
2: Yeah, thank you Arsenal. Um Nadum, does it matter that Gabriel Jesus isn't scoring?
0: Um right now I'd probably say no. I'd probably say no just because you know he's still taking he's still he's, I think he got two assists yesterday so he's still linking the play at well. the general bits of play are there. And in some ways I think now some Arsenal fans are trying to uh, sort of seeing the Man City experience whereby you know his value but he doesn't necessarily always leave it with in terms of a goal and assist or something. But he's always he's always working on, and he's always doing the right thing. And it seems really weird to just say, oh, he's a good player because he works hard. But he works hard differently to, say, other people. His physicality is there. Some of his movement's really sharp. He draws people into positions that they don't want to go to and spreads the field well for the team. So I wouldn't be too worried right now. Maybe he's concerned because he does enjoy scoring goals, I imagine. But as it stands, I think his goals will come and I'm sure there'll be big, important goals for them as well. So I think he'll overcome it. It's just... A bigger problem would be if he wasn't scoring goals in training, then you know he's got a real problem. But I'd imagine he's doing just fine. So I'm not going to buy into that too much just yet.
2: Daniel says, I live a few miles away from the Emirates. I can't watch the game on TV while friends in the in the US and in New Zealand uh, will be watching and keeping me updated. Why? Um, I, I don't suspect any of us, any of you know the answer.
5: Does anyone know the answer why? I do, actually. It's something to do with the Leeds-Liverpool game was supposed to be the televised game at two o'clock yesterday but it was moved to Saturday evening because Liverpool have a game on Tuesday uh, in Europe. And that is why that was on at that weird time on Saturday and televised. And that is why the Arsenal game wasn't televised yesterday.
2: Thank you, Barry. Um, um, uh, Our thoughts, obviously, with Pablo Mari, the uh, Arsenal player on loan at Monza, who was stabbed in that attack in an Italian supermarket last week. He's been discharged from hospital, faces at least two months out of the game um, after an operation on... Friday, the attack left one man dead and many injured. Uh, the Arsenal players held up a shirt to show their thoughts with him um, after Martinelli's goal. That's a utterly grim business, of course. Um, to that game that you just mentioned, Barry, that was moved from Sunday to Saturday night, encroaching on Ant and Dex Turf, you know, and, and Tony Adams, if he's still in Strictly, I confess, I don't know. He him. is. He is. How's he getting
3: on? Well, he's been uh, in strictly longer than Liz Truss was prime minister. So there you
2: go. <laughs> uh, Liverpool won Leeds 2. Leeds first win at Anfield in, in 20 years. Uh, Crescentio Somerville with the winner in the 89th minute, A day before his 21st birthday. He wasn't born the last time Leeds won at Anfield. Um, uh, one from the kids, from friend of the pod, Bearded Genius, saying three players around him, but Liverpool should have been tighter on Somerville. You certainly don't leave him this way. Um it was a brilliant moment, John, wasn't it?
3: Yeah. Is he a small town boy? Uh, yeah. Um, oh, it's a great moment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, a strange goal, really, wasn't it? Because it, it was it whipped off. Patrick Bamford was sort of in the vicinity, and then he poked it, and I suppose he hit it in a in a, in a way that gave Allison very little recourse to to respond, and it flew in. And then, of course, the special moment is Jesse Marsh's celebration, which uh, I imagine, uh, and, and listen, I don't want to get into uh, American stereotypes here because I know certain listeners get a bit annoyed, but I imagine you see that celebration at Little League. and
2: uh... Sounds like you're going exactly where you said yes, you going exactly. go <laughs>
3: <Yeah. laughs> Well, you don't get that celebration from Tony Pulis, do you? That's, that's all I'd say. And uh, but it was great to watch. And do you know what? Uh, J- Jesse Marsh's very public press conference. I mean, very, obviously very public in press conference, but revealing that hey, I know I'm under pressure. I know I've got so many, so much time to save my job. You know, was not evasive about the situation that he's in. And I actually, you know, felt for him when he when he said all that stuff. And uh, I, I I enjoyed him enjoying his moment. Let's put it that way.
2: Nayden, do we read too much into sort of you know the body language after the game, like the way he embraced a few of those players who are obviously delighted? In anyone and may just hug anyone. It made me really think. Actually, like everyone is buying into to Jesse Marsh at Leeds at the moment.
0: Um, I, I think it's on a case to case basis, but on this particular occasion, I think you can read into that because I have seen times when uh, people actively avoid managers when they come looking for affection. So uh, yeah, I think you can definitely look into that. And fair play to him. You know, you can see that from the way he tries to get his team to play, it's a, it's a positive style, you know, it's pressing, it's running forward at speed. You would want to be a part of that. And I think when you listen to the way he speaks to the media and he's sort of sort of talking to the Leeds fans through them, it feels like he's got good intentions, but he doesn't necessarily understand the, the nature of, say, some of those Leeds fans who perhaps didn't buy into him as much as he would have liked. But in terms of watching them play, I, I enjoyed it. You know, for a team that lost four games in a row to go Anfield and really be as front foot as they were, it was credit to them because I was expecting something completely different. And obviously Liverpool will probably feel they should have won the game based on the chances they had in the second half. But Leeds had a few as well. And like that, the definition of like pain for me was watching that ball get played through for Bamford and he took that touch. with yeah. his left foot. I was oh. like, oh my God. Like, the, oh, it's there for you. What a moment. That's your moment, your return. Do you think it
2: was worse that it didn't just go out of play. He had to like carry on doing oh, some football after it's just,
0: that. It's just like, there would have been so much excitement from all the Leeds fans and everybody on the benches. You jump up because you think Bamford's going to take a touch. And the next thing, he's basically just shielding off three players and then trying to move it back to midfield. Oh, what's happened here? But, you know, he's, he's a good player. He should be doing better than that. But for Leeds, it's a it's a great moment. It's a great win. And for a comparison about how wild that record is, you know, they've got the same winning record at Anfield as Man City do. And Leeds have been out of the league for a few years as well. Wow. Yeah, so it's um it's a very, very tough place to win. Just ask Virgil van Dijk, because usually when people see him there, it's not going to happen. But that's finally been broken now. Fair play to Leeds. And my criticism, really, of Liverpool is just sometimes they're too passive. You know, you see the um the wing, I think it was Nonto, on the left side, 18-, 19-year-old. He's got three players around him, but nobody really engages with him. He puts in a speculative ball into the box. Bamford's in there. Nobody really touches him. He takes... A loose touch, I'll say. Oh, no, he takes, he makes a beautiful ball to Somerville. It's a fantastic ball to Somerville, who, again, has got three people around him, but nobody affects it. This is the last minute of the game at Anfield. And, you know, for them, in the grand scheme of things, this is an important game because they are, they're, they're so deceptive. I feel like I really want to believe in them, but they keep letting me down. And as I look at the table and I've got like a goal difference of plus eight, I'm like, I need to remember they won a game 9-0. So realistically, their season is like mid-level as we've, we've seen in the Premier League so far. Uh,
2: Melier did play well, Barry. So do you think Leeds deserved this victory? I felt like they did, even if, as
5: nadam said, Liverpool had a lot of chances. Um, yeah, I, I thought they deserved it. Um, I I actually kind of fancied them to win, and but I thought, oh, it's at Anfield. They probably won't. But if they'd been at Ellen Road, I certainly would have fancied them. Because I think they've been playing quite well, but losing. Um, their defense is quite ropey. Meslier saved them the other night. Definitely, I really like him as a keeper. He he makes a few mistakes, but he's he's very young. You know, I think people forget that. But he, he was inspired on Saturday night, and he's as important a part of the team as as anyone. So that's why he's there to, to stop the ball going in the back of the net. Uh, and and Liverpool, while they had chances, as Nedum has, has made, pointed out, not the the defending for the second goal was absolutely criminal. You know, three players around Nanto, three players around Bamford and um, Somerville, and I think Joe Gomez was a bit culpable for both because I think he should have cut off. He wasn't in a position to cut off the the obvious pass Nonto was going to make into the penalty area. It was the only thing he could really do. Uh, and, and he didn't see that, and uh, then obviously he made that horrific mistake for the first goal, and I, I just don't really know what to make of Joe because he's played really well in some games this season and he's had a couple of absolute nightmares, so yeah, he's it's, it's a
3: funny one. He's not on the plane for me.
2: It's not, okay, I mean, I thought when you said he was a bit culpable for both, Barry, I thought you would be very kind to him <laughs> for the first one, so he felt really comfortable, Nadam.
0: If we're talking culpability, then do you see the third person involved in that first goal from culpability? Did you sense who it was as of you guys? Are you saying Virgil? So you see Rodrigo getting the tap in after Gomez made the mistake. Rodrigo was standing next to Van Dyke. If you look just before Gomez plays the ball, Van Dyke was looking across to Robertson, telling him where to go. But like you still have to have a sort of, you have to be in the moment to be seeing what's actually going on. So that's why it went from all of a sudden everything's under control to now somebody's got it, getting a tapping from five yards out. And it's not to say that he would have necessarily been able to run back and dealt with it in real time. But there is actually a point sometimes where you do need to watch the ball because it's your ball and you're in control of it. But just for a split second, and those are the little things, like he's obviously an exceptional player, but you can get punished for little mistakes like that. And he must be delighted, I think, that everyone's talking about Gomez because, as I say, it was his man that scored. And he was standing right next to him. But then before you know it, he's watching him just tap a ball in from two yards out.
2: I'm glad you got that question right, Barry. I felt when Nadem asked that question, it was like a real testing our football knowledge question.
0: Who is the third person? <laughs> sorry, sorry. Wrong, wrong podcast. Yeah, my bad.
2: <laughs> um, a quick, quick, before we move on, a quick one on Darwin Nunes, John. I, I just wonder, like, is that is such a massive chance at, at 1-1. And, and there's just a, a sort of lack of... You could even see in Mo Salah's face when he missed it. Salah sort of looked to his right and went, yeah, I probably should have passed it to you, mate. I just wonder if that lack of composure seems to be a, a bit of an issue for
3: him. The thing is, Salah used to do that to Sadio Mane, didn't he? Who is a very, very good player. Um, well, that's what you get with Nunes, don't you? He is a, a boom-bust player. Um Good luck uh, to Pep Linders and Jürgen Klopp in trying to instill that consistency, trying to make him into a finisher as good as Salah. Um, but a bit like Arsenal, I'm glad he's around because he's been great fun to watch all season.
2: Absolutely. Right, that'll do for part one. Part two we will begin at the Annex. Finding your perfect home was hard,
1: but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at Burrow.com slash ACAST.
5: Hi, I'm Dori Shafrier. And I'm Kate Spencer. And we are the hosts
2: of Forever 35, and today... welcome to part two of the guardian football weekly uh, football weekly live is on the 17th of november uh, thursday night at earth in hackney me barry lars ellis james uh come along please go to theguardian.com slash guardian live uh we're planning a big finale um, and a, a halftime show which we haven't planned yet but we'll, we will plan it <laughs> Have I sold it, Barry? I don't know. Not brilliantly. Really. <laughs> there are some tickets left. We'd love to see you. We'll all go to the pub afterwards. And uh, you can watch it wherever you are in the world as well. Uh, you can live stream it or watch it on Catch Up. Uh, over the following week, theguardian.com slash Guardian Live. Um, Martin says, most obvious question of the week, how beautiful, terrible is the irony of the Brighton-Chelsea scoreline? Joe says, is it hard not to make Derby puns? Every week, first win for Brighton under their new manager, Roberto Di Zerbi. Graham Potter's first defeat as Chelsea boss. Um, a brilliant performance from Brighton. Chelsea were horrible defensively. Nadeem, is it is it sometimes just a case of one team wanting it more? Or like at this level, surely everybody needs to want it to like quite a professional amount.
0: It's a fantastic cliche to throw out there. But surely you, you just don't know because how do you know how much the opposition wants it? How do you measure that? Like, I really want this. But I look, you look in my eyes. You look
2: like you really, really, really want it. <laughs> surely you know. Surely you know from when, like the opposition centre back yells, they don't fucking want it. Then you know that. Then you know that actually, you yeah, you didn't want it.
0: You see in their eyes, they don't want it. They don't want it. You're like yeah, okay. Of course, I'm pretty sure they do. But the the likelihood <laughs> is, the teams that. Like a playing at home in these passionate games they'll maybe play a bit differently to say the away team because the away team are almost trying to do things to you know, to calm the crowd down maybe playing a bit slower when they need to try and take the beat out of it whereas the home team they want to get the crowd on their side so I mean, that concept of wanting it maybe it sort of manifests itself in terms of sort of delivery of tactics and so on but it definitely isn't that I think obviously Brighton had to be clinical as well and for Chelsea making those mistakes like it's I would say, I wouldn't necessarily say it's criminal because everybody makes mistakes, but for the nature of that game itself, with the, that might be the most passionate we'll see the Brighton fans ever. You know, this is, that was such a big game for them, seeing their old manager, seeing an old player, seeing basically all the backroom staff that had also nicked, also arriving, and they're there almost as an underdog. They've not won yet. And then lo and behold, it goes like that. And that's, that's the, for me, that's the beauty of football because, you can see that one team is probably better, but the fact is in any given moment, you can have other factors which sort of level the playing field. And if you take your chances, then this is where you find yourself. So I think there were a lot of people that were rooting for Brighton in that game, quite a lot. You know, they were maybe seeing Potter on the sideline with his new outfits and stuff. And so "Ah, I hope he loses. And for the Brighton fans, you know, it's a a big moment for them. It's a big win. And obviously Potter helped them get to that point whereby they can be as good as they are today. But it's it's a nice little underdog story coming true. And, As I say, I think all those Brighton fans certainly enjoyed it from what I was hearing anyway.
2: Um, uh, What did you make of the booze, Barry? Ian says, uh, the Brighton fans' reaction to Potter, perfectly reasonable or a further sign of the decaying value, ethics and morals in modern society? Lloyd says, can we have a fair look at Brighton booze at Potter rather than sour grapes booze reported by most? It's a deeper issue. The booze are at the Chelsea organisation. Rather than replicating good behind-the-scenes management, they're literally gutting a smaller club.
5: Yeah, that's completely fair. Um you know, the, as Nedim said they've taken the manager, they took the Cucurella, they took the coaching staff. They're in the process of trying to take Brighton's head of recruitment, Paul Winstanley, Stanley, and as our our friend Kieran Maguire tweeted yesterday, it was a Brighton 4 Brighton wannabes one. And that's I totally understand the booing and uh Potter as he happily admitted after the game, well, not happily, but admitted after the game, he, he was made to look a bit of a chump. And he, he set up with the Sterling and Pulisic playing as right wing backs. They offered very little cover to Chalaba, Silva and uh, Cucurella and played right into Brighton's hands, really. And, and I think the 4-1 scoreline flattered Chelsea a bit in a way. Does Chelsea's
2: head of recruitment try and hire Brian head of <laughs> recruitment to become head of
3: recruitment?
2: <laughs> it's a very good question. Anyway, um, um... we're back
3: to the Russian doll, aren't we? But yeah, yeah, um, we
2: are. Um, John, was this a game where Thiago Silva looked old?
3: Well, he he, he didn't at the start, did he? Because it was Thiago Silva was clearing up all the mess that the rest of the Chelsea players were were making, but uh, clearly that couldn't last forever. Um, did you think about wanting it? Uh, If you play uh, Raheem Sterling and Christian Pulisic as wing-backs, a a position that requires some defensive work, do they want to do as much defensive work as, uh, say, Leandro Trossard did when he was played in the same position for Brighton by Graham Potter? And I think that that was an issue for for Chelsea, is that I suppose the one thing that Graham Potter never did uh, was turn the Amex into a bear pit but he did it this time. So, you know, so it was, yeah, it, what, what a strange game. I mean, you sometimes see this, don't you, you know? It's always that, you know, ex player, ex manager goes to a club and th- there's some kickback off it. But this was uh, a, a great example of it. Um,
2: um, uh, Brighton fans will be furious that this is our analysis. We, we should focus a little bit, Nadam, on how well they played. I mean, they, they do have, like, Trossard is a brilliant footballer, and his footwork for the first goal and composure was brilliant.
0: Oh, yeah, it's, it was it was so, so good. And, you know, he's, such a, he's a man in form, isn't he? I think some people doubt Brighton, and doubt him, but he seems to be doing so, so well. And for myself personally, like I watched them against Man City, I think it was that, yeah, a week and a bit ago now, and I thought they were really, really impressive. You know, they really took the game to City. I think some teams that arrive there, they sort of start on the back foot and hope to still be in the game and have something to go for, but they very much went for it, especially at the start of the second half. I'd not seen City pin back like that for such a long time. So you could see that they had something. They didn't get the rewards from that game because they ended up losing due to, you know, just some bit of quality from Kevin De Bruyne, which seems like a weekly thing at the minute. But it looks like a really good side. And you sort of wondered, because there were two conversations that were going on where you could talk about the performance, but then you talk about the Serbies not won yet. So is he heading in the wrong direction or is this a work in progress? And thankfully for them, they then have Chelsea at home, which is the perfect game for them to sort of, Obviously, there were two own goals within it. But to start well and to see Trossard doing stuff like that again, like, he's really good. So I guess that means he's going to sign for Chelsea come January or is it July <laughs> that he goes?
2: And actually, but you know, it's it's a sign of strength from De Zerbe, isn't it, John, that he has looked and thought, well, actually, this is, this is quite a good team I'm taking over. I don't need to just sort of like with a big ego to try and change everything. It's just tinker a little bit because Graham Potter had them playing lovely stuff as well.
3: Yeah, very few managers actually get that opportunity, do they? To, to actually take over a good team, a good team playing well. I suppose the worry for him is that he hadn't been able to get the the right results out of that team if they had been playing reasonably well. But um, a, a red-letter day, uh, all credit to him. Yeah, uh, as I said, I, I really enjoyed that result and that game.
2: Uh, to the vitality, Stephen says, how tempted would you have been to disallow the 92nd minute Spurs winner just to see Conte go nuclear? Um, Barry, it feels like a huge win for Spurs, this, after really poor 10 days. Um, And you can include the first
5: 45 minutes of this game <laughs> yeah, in well, yeah. poor 10 days. Yeah. Beyond the fact that it showed a tremendous amount of character, I'm not sure it is that big a result for them, is it? They were 2-0 down, they played... Terribly in the first half, and they came back and beat a team they should be and probably should beat a lot more comfortably. So, yeah, I I don't know if it's that big a deal. It's a it's a good win, but you you would have expected them to win, wouldn't you? I
2: suppose so. I I suppose given the context, Nadem of being two nil down and having to show that fight, even if they're not playing well, because you know Tottenham wants to get into the top four. I think. Everyone probably is aware they're not going to win the title and getting in the top four won't necessarily be that easy this season.
0: Yeah, that's I think the context is the is the key thing there. Like the, the win against Bournemouth by itself seems unremarkable. But as they look back and think of the fact they were 2 0 down, and you're two 0 down away from home in the Premier League, nothing is essentially at that point easy. You know, the other team have got something to really hold on to. And, you know, do they want it more? Who knows? But um I think for Spurs. So I think it's also good in the fact that they'd had a bad 10 days, but then through this game, they got the three goals, but it wasn't, say, through Son and Kane or anything. It was other people that were chipping in, you know, with Sessegnon, with Davies, with Bentoncourt at the end. Like That stuff matters because you will need all your team to be chipping in if you want to be able to find results. So, obviously, the big negative is you're 2-0 down. You're 2-0 down away at Bournemouth, like what you're doing. But then you can find a positive in the fact that the players have that sort of belief and they managed to pull it out on on that day don't get me wrong you shouldn't necessarily rely upon that but that'll stand them in good stead for another point in the future when they are losing a game 1-0, 2-0 because they have the belief to fall back and I can talk about this historically because for some of my uh, iconic teams that I played for for QPR there were times where when we were 1-0 down you kind of knew the game was over whether that was in the 5th minute or the 85th so (laughs) it's it's always nice it's always nice to know that you've got goals on the field and people are going to be pushing forward because it's that well-driven, that well-organised and they're all capable of chipping in. So I think it's uh, they'll take the positives and just hope that this game in Marseille it can be a, another positive moment for them in midweek.
2: Yeah, I need a point to guarantee getting through. Uh, a win would, would top the group for Spurs uh, away in Marseille. A bit of praise for Rodrigo cord John, because I don't think that finishes as easy as he made it look, actually.
3: No, no. Uh, and he enjoyed it as well, didn't he? Uh, yeah, as he would. Um, and, but I, I I suspect, I mean, I actually was at the uh, sporting game and the Newcastle game and saw Antonio Conte seethe after both of those. And uh, the relief amongst those Tottenham players at getting a win and seeing a, perhaps a little flicker of a smile on Antonio Conte's face, that was probably a lot to do with that wild celebration that they produced. Um, A little word for Bournemouth, maybe? I'm a bit worried about them. Uh, I saw them at West Ham last week. Not impressed, despite their VAR. Not conspiracy talk, but you know, their, their complaints about VAR. But also, uh, Kiefer Moore. Uh, two good goals. Unfortunately, ended up on the losing side. But there's a story, isn't it, from where he's come from. He's 30 years old, arrives in the Premier League, and has played in the very depths of non-league. And also... Uh, a player, unlike many others, because he's six foot. What is it? Six foot five? Six foot six? But um, he also has the the classic decent touch for a big man.
2: Get him on that plane, which is I think easier to, to book, isn't it? The uh, Welsh plane. I think he's on. I think he's, so on, far, I think he's he? on that
3: plane. Yes, yes. yes.
2: <laughs> I think he's he's on that. plane. you know, you can book your tickets in advance. Generally, I just hope he gets sufficient leg room. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. He doesn't want a middle row, doesn't he? He doesn't want middle. He needs a he needs an aisle <laughs> seat, Kiefer, yeah. doesn't he? Um, uh, let's go to Old Trafford. Manchester United won West Ham nil. Um, Harry Maguire and Ronaldo started. Anthony was injured, too dizzy um, after spending the Europa League game, <laughs> game uh, with Sheriff, just <laughs> twizzling about. Uh, a, a good win for Ten Hag and John Bruin. I'd posit that United aren't shite.
3: Well, okay, uh, they've got a good manager uh, who's making players that ought to be good look good. Now, that seems a little bit trite, uh, a bit glib, but um, let's start with a player who I didn't think have had much of a future at United, Diogo Dalot, who has become, and actually was the key player almost in that, apart from David De Gea, in the defensive effort that, that protected United's lead. A couple of clearances... Um, Against Jared Bowen, um, he played very well. He's a he's a good player, and Ten Hag has made him into a good player. Well, we have a, a good touch for a little man in a, Lissandro Martinez. Uh, you know, is a is a little man, five foot eleven. I, I don't know.
2: He he is when Michael Antonio's shoulder barging him off the ball, which was my favorite moment of of this game. That was like fair play, Lissandro, for going for that at least.
3: Yeah, well, yeah, but he, he's game, isn't he? And yeah, let's see how he gets on next to Kiefer Moore. But um, yeah, United, United are good, and that was a, a solid win. It was one dug out again. Uh, another player who lost his way, Marcus Rashford, good header. Ronaldo even seems to be a bit of use in that game, though. Uh, the, the a younger version might have snapped snapped up a couple of chances. No, they're not shite anymore. They're a pretty solid team, but I suppose it shows how. Far expectations have dropped is that they're probably going to be competing with Newcastle for a top four place. And it's been a long time since the neutrals probably wanted Manchester United to prevail
0: over Newcastle. But here we are in 2022. It's a, oh, gosh. That's, you've, that's a very good, good point. Well made that. But now that is a moral dilemma, isn't it?
2: <laughs> um, well sadly it isn't like that is the, that's the problem isn't it um, I, I, I can't remember who it was on match today too Nadem saying that hadn't seen Marcus Rashford score a header like that I mean it was a real dirty number nine real centre forward keeper more header wasn't it
0: yeah it was uh, it was very good it was very good He's he's got spring on him but then some people have spring but don't really want to use it and for him you know if we were to talk about negatives he does like to shoot from 40 yards out whenever he sees the goal but you know, it's good to see him getting in at the back post, and you can see that some of that is his own sort of sense of where is right, but then also the manager telling him that's what he needs to do. You know, if there's one person in the box, you go in there and be the second person. You are getting in the back post. You can see he caught he caught the full back out in the fact that firstly he was there, and secondly he was, he was towering so high above him. So it's it's good. And, you know, I think he'd say it's 100 goals in his career for Man United or something. Like that's that's very very impressive for somebody who a lot of people don't really like. You know that that stands alone. That's very, very good. And as we look back to even the way he just he came into the side because everyone that played for Man United was unavailable, then all of a sudden he got, got the opportunity. Fair play to him. And he's, he's got more ahead of him. It's good to see him playing well. Um, and just getting right back on track. And it seems like that's one of many people um, for Man United who were doing just that. So fair play. United are doing well. And for me, it's like double jeopardy because start of the season, I hadn't predicted to be fourth. And I got laughed out of the room for a month. After they were getting beaten by everyone that had a team out. And now they just sit there, like one point behind Newcastle with a game in hand and like, oh my God, what have I done? Like, this is actually going to happen. And how do I deal with this? Um,
2: I, it's taking everything in my power with regards to Rashford to just not yell, get him on that plane to any Englishman who's playing well uh, at the <laughs> moment. Um, uh, but Barry, like, I mean, David De Gea is not getting on that plane, which is quite interesting. Like, he's sixth choice Spanish goalkeeper. Uh, Sixth, hasn't even made. Yeah, hasn't even made oh. their 55 behind. David Ray and Robert Sanchez of Brentford and Brighton. Um, Bilbao's Uno Sim on his first choice. Kepa and then David Soria from Getafe. But he made two. I mean, that save from Zuma was amazing. And actually, in that last bit of injury time where Maguire makes that clear, you know, that goal line clearance from Bowen and then he makes that save, West Ham are feeling pretty annoyed. They didn't just sneak something at the end.
5: Yeah, I thought they deserved a point. And if you're going to say... Leeds were lucky against Liverpool. You could argue Manchester United were lucky here, but uh, was a, it was a good win. But they they relied on the hair to brilliant save from Zuma, brilliant save from Declan Rice right at the death, and then as you say, the crucial blocks from Harry Maguire and Lissandra Martinez to keep out goals. And on, on another day, the match could have gone a different way, but um, yeah, West Ham. I would be gutted not to have taken at least a point from that game.
2: Um, can we briefly discuss Anthony spinning around the conversation? Conversation that I don't know if it divided the nation, just upset. Paul skulls and some other ex-pros. I mean, <laughs> like, like. I mean, there are other things to worry about, aren't there, Naden? I just
0: I no, 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 thing. no, no, no. Stop <laughs> it, Max. Stop it. This is the most important thing in all of football. It's ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. But you know what? It, the ball he tried to play in shortly afterwards. Like, it's it's very close to being a good ball as well. So if it would have worked out and they scored. Oh, it's, it's a maverick. It's genius. This is the way it is. Don't get me wrong. It's a weird thing to suddenly just decide to do, but then that's something that he's done before. I don't think he'll be doing it again. Um, so I guess he's—you know—this is a time to learn. But yeah, it's uh, for anyone who sort of doubts it, just try and do it yourself, and then maybe say, "Oh, he's actually pretty skilled." Fair play to him. But yeah, just don't recommend it at Old Trafford.
2: I, um, I I mean, he, he didn't play, did he, yesterday? I was desperate for him to play, and the first thing he did, just get it and just start spinning around for as long as he possibly could <laughs> just to annoy everyone else. I do wonder, I wonder if, had that been a Premier League weekend, there would have just been more stuff to talk about because it was a Thursday night and you're scrabbling around for any kind of story on a Friday morning or whoever, you know, that, that something that happens in a Europa League game means that it's talked about more and so it became this kind of conversation that perhaps it, it wouldn't have done best.
5: Uh, maybe. I, I, just, I, I mean, there, there, quite a lot of proper football men were seriously enraged. When I saw it, I burst out laughing and uh, my immediate reaction was, oh, he's going to get a kick in for that. And I don't know if he did or not, but yeah, I thought it was fun. I have no problem with it. But uh, some people take football a hell of a
0: lot more seriously than than I do and perhaps they should yeah I'll be honest if so if if for the people I played with if someone did that on the field against us you'd be pretty angry you'd be pretty because it's like pointless isn't it you know what I mean it didn't actually mean anything so yeah you'd I've changed my mind. I think I would have killed him. Yeah, I'm, I'm
5: guessing your your good friend Joey Barton wouldn't have put up with that, really, would yes.
0: he? Listen, that's that's fake news. Don't say anything that people don't <laughs> understand the context for, Barry, but I'm sure Joey Barton probably would have lifted him up, yes.
2: Anyway, that'll do for part two. Uh, part three, we'll do the rest of the Premier League game starting at the King Power. So book your next getaway with Club Med. Visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly at Leicester Hill, Manchester City 1. Chris says, is there a made-up free-kick scale you're going to rate the Kevin De Bruyne goal on? I don't know if there's a better free-kick ever. Barry, I mean, this is a hyperbole. Of course, there are more important ones, but like in terms of utter perfection, I can't see how you could take a more perfect free kick.
5: Yeah, um, no one in the defensive wall did anything wrong. Danny Ward in Leicester goal didn't do anything wrong, and it went in off the post and was pretty unsavable. I think so. What else could he do?
0: <laughs> the, the technique was special, like 99% of people who play football can't kick a ball like that. But if you really want to know the true, true rating, there's one person that had the best view, and that was James Madison laying on the floor <laughs> behind the wall. Yeah. So I think if people can reach out to him and ask him what that view was like and what he thought about it, you know, I think that's going to be the, the probably ideal representation of how good that free kick was.
2: Which cocon were you talking about yesterday, Buzz?
5: Oh, it was Ian Rice, but he, he said that Madison had a bird's eye view. And I... Sort of surprised Gary Lineker didn't pull him up and point out it was actually a worm's eye view. It was a mole's
3: view. Yeah,
5: <laughs> it was a mole's eye view uh, <laughs> of that free kick. It was a bit of a
2: shame that Telemann's strike didn't go in, John, and then we oh. would have had you know that that would have actually been better than De Bruyne's goal.
3: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, Richard Keys gave Lesser a frightful slagging for playing defensively against Manchester City, and I'm like, but it's Manchester City, and um. I don't know if you've noticed, but Leicester was shipping loads of goals until October and then have locked up the defence and Brendan Rodgers shifted the defence around and Valt Feiss, great name, great hairstyle, was joined by Suanchu and they tried to lock the game down. What does he expect Leicester City to do against Manchester City? The days of Jamie Vardy and Riyad Mahrez are long gone, even though Jamie Vardy is still there. Um, So... They tried their best. It wasn't quite good enough, but yeah, they, they came close.
2: Uh, Erling Haaland not in the squad uh, for that game. Um, Alvarez played up top. It does change. It does change City. So sort of they go back to last ten years of City. Nadem, don't they? When
0: Haaland isn't there, I guess. Yeah, it, it kind of does. I think Alvarez is sort of caught in the middle of that though, because he sort of got the stature of somebody who would be playing a false nine, but he makes he makes some good runs. But I, I think he's done okay in the times that I've seen him play so far this season but you know that his ceiling is going to be higher and yeah the, it's just different when you've got a 6 foot 4 guy that's like really good in the air, exceptionally fast and a great finisher playing up there it's then different when you have like a 5 foot 10 Argentinian that's just going to go around and press you all the time and it's an adaptation they'll have to get used to but like, you know this is the depth that they have I guess and I'm pretty sure they'll be fine but you know could be wrong
2: And Newcastle 4 Aston Villa nil um, uh, so yeah Newcastle stay 4th Callum Wilson with two goals and an assist in front of Gareth Southgate. You know what's coming, Barry? <laughs> is it a plane-related? It is aeroplane-related thing to say. Yes. I, mean, I, I, I suspect, lot. I'm not the first person to say this, but if he was 100% fit and had no injury problems, he is the second best centre-forward
5: that England have, isn't he? He's very good. I think I personally prefer Ivan Toney. But... Um, this was a good day for Callum Wilson a good day for Newcastle he scored two he hit the post Gareth Southgate was there Dominic Calvert-Lewin played elsewhere and didn't play well um, so I, I think Callum Wilson will be in the squad if he's fit
2: um, Jordan jarrett Bryan tweeting uh, he of hot takes Miguel Alm- Almiron isn't as good as many are saying the purple patch is very purple but fair play to him so you know he's giving him some credit Nadam for being quite sensational at the moment and the thing about that goal was you just kind of expected him to score he's playing that
0: well yeah like what what are we talking about so people just playing really well in the premier league for a good few weeks scoring goals and would help him win games for teams that are in the top four that's just a fluke then okay it's good it's good to know and the bigger thing for me really anyway so when i first went to the mls he was one of the top three players in it like he was incredible and then he's come to the Premier League. He wasn't really doing that well. And now he's like one of the hottest prospects in the Premier League. So it just goes to show the MLS and the Premier League, they're exactly the same. They are exactly the same. And that's all you need to know. If he was top tri- top three, what number were you? Well, I wasn't one. Um, I wasn't were you two, one of so... the Were you one of
5: the high paid
2: players or did you just go on a cheap?
0: Well, it, it, to be honest, one third of the league is on less than $100,000 a year. So technically speaking, yes, I was one of the high paid players, but uh, not quite Almiron money.
2: You weren't one of the designated.
0: Nah, listen. Players. If de- is you if you're designating your money to me, you're not in for a good time. Let's just say that. Invest <laughs> wisely.
2: I read somewhere. I read somewhere, and tell me if this is bollocks. I really hope it isn't. And it's is more aeroplane chat, which I didn't intend. Um That the, the designated players would sit up front, and then some of the other squad would just sit at the back of the plane.
0: Um I that's like half true it since the pandemic that there were more like charter flights available because before that you just get on normal planes with just everyday people so every game was like a business trip when you just go and travel away meet you at the airport here's some like they'd give you money or they'd give you per diem to go and have some food and then yeah next thing you just sitting on a plane just watching tv on the headrests and all that stuff that that was the mls experience sat next to someone's grandma and yeah the, all yeah. of that all of that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was. Do I, I, you know what? I quite enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. Sounds all right. It. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that, is, that is like the A League experience,
2: literally. Because you know, I'm at Melbourne and Sydney airports quite a lot, and there's pretty much always an A League team just walking yeah. around in their tracksuits, just you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. sitting there having a yeah, having
0: a, a coffee Roy, and a bag. Roy, yeah. Roy yeah. Keane wouldn't like that. Yeah, <laughs> Max. The difference is though, in in the MLS, when you go to the airports like that, you don't have to wear your tracksuit. So you're just in your right. normal gear. So it's like oh, a, right. full, it's like a, it's the full experience, and I genuinely really enjoyed it. I really did.
2: Ah, civvies. that's so great. Would, like, and I guess because MLS wasn't huge, right? Maybe one person would be sitting on the plane going.
0: It's just really weird. Like
2: they're is it, all jotted yeah. around a plane. Right yeah,
0: it's like, oh, look at this bunch of pretty athletic people between the age of about 20 and 35. Something something seems peculiar here, but I can't put my finger on it. Special
2: forces. They'd be like, they're all special forces.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something like that.
2: <laughs> anyway, that was a really good win uh, for Newcastle. Um, uh, Anouna Emery rejected Newcastle, didn't he? So, uh, as producer Silas writes, who's laughing now? And they're probably all okay, aren't they? Uh, but it, his reign doesn't start yet because of work permit reasons
3: starts on tuesday yeah
2: okay uh, what does oh, Jem says what does he need to do first and what does he need to do in the transfer window
3: john i'm not sure that it's the, the transfer that the problem there's a good players within that squad that could be better um and Unai Emery is a good polisher of players um, a less rigid structure uh, maybe play um Somehow find a way to play Coutinho and Buendia together. um, Try and get the best out of Ollie Watkins, um, John McGinn. I mean, with missing good players there, just try and instil some confidence in them because I think that's what they've been lacking. Uh, And
2: Barry, if you could like to just clamber aboard your high horse with your drum on Emmy Martinez,
5: like classic case of them not getting it right. Yeah, he shipped an accidental knee to the head from Tyrone Mings was down for about five or six minutes being assessed by the medical staff from Aston Villa played on and had to go off 10 or 15 minutes later and was clearly in a not good way. Um, And it just show highlights the needs for medical assessments by independent doctors that aren't linked to either team. And it highlights the need for temporary concussion substitutes, which aren't in place in the Premier League but should be. Completely agree. Um, To Brentford, Oliver says, how worried should
2: we be about Ben Mee? Even attempting, never mind scoring a goal like that suggests to me that the bright lights of London have changed this man forever. Um, uh, Still, it keeps up the annual Barry Glendenning Brentford centre-back goal of the season competition alive. It was, John, quite an amazing Goal. Barry doesn't want to talk about this because because of Ethan Pinnock, of course, and he doesn't want to s- spread his loyalty away from there. But what a finish and the leap and everything from Ben Mee.
3: Almost Mark Hughes esque. Yeah. It was. It, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, Ben Mee, uh, occasionally found in these pages, uh, and a friend of a friend. Uh, and uh, yeah, a, quite a good lad. Good to see him enjoying himself. Uh, the bright lights of Hillingdon and Osterly uh, have really lit him up and, and changed him, haven't they? That's
2: uh, such a great goal. Never scored a good goal as well. Uh, Costa uh, is sent off for a headbutt right at the end of the game. I, I'm so, I'm amazed, Nathan, this is his first red card in the Premier League in his 90th appearance. So very much out of character. Yeah, well, he's not that kind of
3: player. Yeah,
0: literally, he? yeah. Diego Costa does not wrestle anybody in the game of football. No way. He's just all about finesse. Interestingly, who was a player he, uh, quote-unquote, headbutted? Do you remember? It was Ben Mee, wasn't it? Yeah, so Ben Mee's actually getting really soft as well. You know, if this was back up north with Burnley, there's no way he's dropping to the floor. He's throwing <laughs> him back. You see, he's changed. I hope you listen to this, Ben. You're a disgrace. <laughs> You've changed so much. I'm not happy with this.
2: Chris says, uh, Diego Costa's shenanigans aren't built for this VAR-filled world, are they? It's like in <laughs> real time, seeing Costa as the Triceratops, looking up at the sky, seeing VAR as the meteor about to obliterate all he has left. Steve Davis afterwards says, look, Costa has to play on the edge. You know, if you took headbutts out of his game, maybe he wouldn't be the force of scoring no goals for Wolves. You know. <laughs>
3: that, that comment really made me laugh. It is,
2: <laughs> like, it's the right sentiment sometimes. It just It doesn't work with headbutting someone, especially when you haven't scored yet, does it? Um, anyway, uh, look, Palace beat Southampton 1-0, Fulham drew 0-0 with Everton. Does anyone have anything to say about either of those games?
3: I actually went to Fulham-Everton. So, okay. uh Tell us everything. Yeah, Fulham it continued to be a very, very good team to watch. Marco Silva was annoyed that uh, they didn't get the job done. And the main reason for that, or two main reasons, Connor Cody, uh, the organisation of Everton's defence. On the plane. Uh, yeah, on the plane, in league with... Uh, James Tarkovsky probably not on the plane, um, and behind them, uh, who should be cosseted in a first class seat uh, with all the trimmings. Jordan Pickford was outstanding, and um, what I like about Connor Cody is that he gives out, and you see this in rugby union and NFL those sort of congratulations at every block and clearance, and they sort of high five him. Great to watch, good team, good team ethic there, um, and. He's transformed Everton by being there, fully enough.
2: I think I'd like that. Maybe on the pod, I should have a, you know, I should have that applause emoji for whoever on the Zoom call <laughs> makes a good <laughs> point.
3: While
5: I think he's a very tremendously nice fellow and a good player. I think this was the game that ensured or confirmed that Dominic calvert Loon will sadly be in the departure lounge, waving tearfully at his former teammates as they take off for Qatar. Uh, he, he was, Constantly offside, I think he struggled on through with a shoulder injury and probably shouldn't have been on the field. And another man who shouldn't have been on the field for quite a large chunk of the game was Alexander Mitrovic, who should have been sent off, was very lucky not to be sent off and went on to have 10 shots, none of which he scored with.
2: Yeah, I think that's all fair. Uh, Third straight home win for Palace, by the way, with apologies to Palace fans for not analysing that game in. Great depth. Um, uh, in Qatar World Cup's great uh, news uh, from the Dutch news service NOS via uh, uh, Stannis Ellsborg on Twitter, uh, they report that Qatar will pay 50 Dutch fans to travel to the World Cup and make positive posts on social media, which will then be used for marketing purposes. In return, Qatar will pay for their flights and
5: accommodation. So uh, that's... Um, on the plane. On the plane. They literally yeah. are on the plane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, can we, can we also give a shout-out to When Saturday Comes, the half-decent football magazine, whose World Cup wall charts are always brilliant, but this one is, an, is a bit special. So uh, if if you're looking for a wall chart, I would go to... Well, I always go to When Saturday Comes, but definitely this one is a work of art. It is good. And I mean, like the major point being, you know, the, the beauty of
2: a World Cup wall chart was you have all the stadia and where they are around the world and all these is just... <laughs> popping out of each other because they're all basically in the same place. Um, Mike says, next time Charlton and Ipswich play each other, should the match start at 90 minutes and just play injury time? Um, uh, Sam says, what sport should I get into to replace football from an Ipswich fan? (laughs) Um,
4: uh,
2: uh, A producer, Joel, was there. He's a Charlton fan. Uh, They were 2-0 down, got it back to 2-2. Ipswich scored in the 91st and 94th minute uh, to make it 4-2. And then Charlton scored twice after that. For a four-all draw, the last the, the watching injury time, which Charlton tweeted out, was brilliant. Producer Joel uh, is a Charlton fan and has recorded a voice note. Well, he hasn't done it yet, but you will hear it on the, the live reaction to this game. I, I think it's Joel sort of picking up his part a little bit, but
4: here it is. Hello, producer Joel here. Um, delighted to be able to provide this voice note report because I do, as a rule, include Charlton on about fifty percent of the running orders that I put together for Football Weekly. Um, but we're often cruelly ignored by Max Rashton. I went to the Valley on Saturday to see us draw 4 all with Ipswich Town. It was very exciting. Um, As you'll have heard on a recent edition of Nick Ames' Ipswich Corner, uh, Ipswich are a formidable side this season. Kieran McKenna's got them playing lovely stuff. I was dreading the game, fairly convinced it would be a pretty handy 3 or 4-0 win for Ipswich Town. And then uh, when it was 2-0... And our manager was sent off. Uh, I remained more convinced that it would be a handy three or four nil win for Ipswich Town. At that point, when the manager got sent off, uh, our manager, Ben Garner, formerly of Swindon Town, sort of did a, a his best Pep Guardiola. He was sent off and kind of lost his mind and just really, really, really gestured to the crowd. The crowd really got behind him. He was kind of screaming as he walked towards the tunnel. Um... And, you know, the fact that he had a grey hoodie and his bald kind of helps with the pe- comparison as well. Um, so then the crowd were kind of energised for the first time in the game, really, despite it being 2-0. And we got it back to 2 all as the 90th minute rolled round. Uh, and then began <laughs> sort of the most intense, insane nine minutes of football I think I've ever seen. Ipswich, of course, scored twice quite early on in injury time. Uh, there was quite a lot of shit housing going on. We were 4-2 down. If you watch, which I would recommend everyone do, and which I did do five times yesterday, um, Cholton have tweeted the full nine minutes, 40 seconds period of injury time. And then, yeah, you know, we we bought ourselves an extra three minutes because there was such a delay each time restarting after their goals. At 4-2 down, a lot of Cholton fans who will pretend to have been there left the ground um, It was quite empty, so it sort of made the limbs at 4-all quite difficult because I had to run about eight seats to my right to hug someone. Uh, (laughs) But it was still very exciting. Um, Just an absolutely brilliant hit-and-hope ball from Albie Morgan um, over to George Dobson for that header at the end. 4-all, all all of our goals were tap-ins. It was electric. I loved it. Ben Garner, the saviour of Charlton Athletic.
2: Thank you, Joel, for that. And, uh, you know, a lot of Charlton fans. And I think, you know, obviously people say never leave before full time. If you're 4-2 down in the fifth minute of six of injury time, <laughs> it's okay to leave, isn't it? <laughs> like, that should be, I think we can go now. I don't think we've got this. So I sympathise with them. Uh, Steve says, how did Cambridge get on yesterday? It uh, doesn't matter. Um, <laughs>
0: uh,
2: uh, this tweet from Andrew Todos, our, our friend, the Ukrainian football expert, um, tweeting about a commentator last week. Commentator Yuri Kirichenko worked on two different matches for two different broadcasters at the same time live. How did he do it? He did a few minutes on Fenerbahce versus Fatih Karagumruk in the Turkish League, paused. Meanwhile, did a few <laughs> few minutes on Stuttgart Union Berlin pause, repeat for 90 minutes. He was just going between two games and just not saying anything for a couple of minutes each time. Fenerbahce mm. şey fatty ended 5-4. So, oh, like, wow. surely he missed one of those goals <laughs> while he was doing the Stuttgart-Union-Berlin game. Anyway, I think we should applaud this kind of commitment to to to, to doing two jobs at once. But uh, the Bundesliga broadcaster Sustanta Sports didn't find it quite so funny. And... Uh, ceased cooperation with Kirichenko uh, for a lack of professionalism, which arguably is accurate as well.
5: Well, I I always used to be agog at how the recently departed and and much-missed Eddie Butler, uh, the Welsh rugby commentator, would commentate on a Six Nations game, and then the next day in The Observer, there'd be a beautifully written match report by Eddie Butler on the same game. And deadlines being what they are, I just, I, I've no idea how he did it. I, I honestly don't know. And I, I should have really asked.
2: <laughs> God, that's exceptional, isn't it? Uh, Ryan says, in Thursday's episode, you were discussing third-choice goalkeepers and brought up Rob Green, which is a bit harsh, considering his over 600 appearances and 12 England caps. Can we agree on a more accurate go-to third-choice keeper? I'm thinking Ross Turnbull or Hilario. What, David what... What did you make of like a third choice keeper who just never played and got paid loads of money? Like were they viewed as part of the squad or just that old bloke?
0: Well, it's funny you should say that. So I think it became more of a thing in recent years, but I've actually played with, uh, with a third choice goalie. You, as a player, you see them more because they're going to be the ones who field the most shots in training and the like. They're the ones who are involved in most of the like small-sided games. And they know they're not going to play, but then in the same breath, they know they've still got value because you do need that extra goalkeeper, but not necessarily to just bring someone up from the academy if they're not necessarily ready for the moment. And the ones I can think of, actually, because Rob Green, I played Rob Green at QPR, and he thought he was going to be retiring, and he was at Leeds, and the next thing he was at Chelsea. But Richard Wright was at City. He came in as a third. And now... The oldest looking man that's not that old, Scott Carson, is the third choice. Oh, no, is he second now? Oh, he's, yeah, he's the third choice goalie at City. And if you think about it, when you get to a certain stage in your career where you don't necessarily want to be taking as many lumps and bumps as say you have done for the previous 10, 15 years, and someone said we want you to be third choice and just be professional and enjoy training because some of these keepers are weirdos and they do really enjoy training, then yeah, absolutely go for it. And you have a good bond with the players because you spend more time talking to them.
2: Uh, Mark says, how do you rate the chance of Jill Scott becoming Queen of the Jungle on I'm a Celebrity? Well, as long as she uh, has a short shrift with people she did for that German in the final <laughs> of the Euros, then uh, we're in line for some entertainment. Uh, Michael says, busy weekend. Surely it will be time for you and John Bruin to have a heated cold play debate. Um, uh, I, I don't know if you were listening, John, where I... I, 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 I it's not even an admission. I quite like Coldplay. My wife loves Coldplay. I, you know, she's a, like, she really, she wants, she's desperate for tickets to go and see them. They, yeah, and I I've explained to Mrs. Rushton why that, that we were having this row. She went, why can't I get, why are they always sold out? Yeah, you know, she's, she's, she's a Chris Martin acolyte. She would, she would leave me for Chris Martin.
3: Well, I, I've been to your house, if you recall, and I'll be so person, I go to someone's house, you check out the record collection, and I could only see one record and it was by Coldplay, so I knew you were on board with them. Well, no, I've got a confession today. I actually bought their first album in the days before you could uh, pirate it or whatever, uh, before the Napster revolution, or even listen to it, stream it, I suppose, which is a semi-piracy, if you listen to our friend, Philippe Auclair. Um Yeah, I bought it. Uh, it was rubbish, uh, and I've never really liked them since, but it's okay. You can like what you like, Mike.
2: That's very kind of you. Yes. How do you really feel? Do you judge me a little bit with that one CD?
3: They're just sort of very Max Rushton music, aren't they? That's all.
5: <laughs> it's music for people who don't like music. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> uh,
3: <laughs>
2: Let's finish with a nice Halloween Twitter thread, um, courtesy of Sid Lambert, who you should all follow. He's great. Um, back in 2013, the 31st of October, 2013, Romelu Lukaku tweets, just had some kids doing trick-or-treat at my door. It's the first time it happened in my life. Ha-ha. To which the official FIFA um, account tweeted back, what did you do, Rom? He replied, gave them Kit Kats. Uh, (laughs) It's a lovely conversation when Twitter was, it was a more innocent time. Um, So thank you very much, Romelu Lukaku. Uh, That'll do for today's podcast. Thank you, Nadim.
0: Thank you very much.
2: Thank you, Barry. Thanks, Max. Cheers, John. Thanks, Max. Uh, We'll be back on Wednesday after Tuesday night's Champions League games. Guardian Football Weekly is produced by Silas Gray. The executive producer is Max Sykes.
0: This is The Guardian.